This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. For over 50 years, CIIS has been a leader in transformative integral education. Integral studies in the founding of CIIS encapsulated a contemporary academic approach to a spiritual mission. In this episode, CIIS Haridas Chowdhury Professor of Indian Philosophies and Cultures, Debashish Banerjee, and CIIS President Emeritus and Professor Emeritus in Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness, Robert McDermott, have an illuminating discussion on the multitude of meanings of integral as seen and applied to the spiritual mission in the history and future of CIIS. This episode was recorded during an in-person and live-streamed event at California Institute of Integral Studies on September 28, 2022. A transcript is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Um, I'm speaking first, but David Sheesh will speak in a few minutes, and we'll go back and forth two or three times, um, which is sort of true of our friendship. We're always going back and forth about something. Uh, and this is the latest uh, of our outings together. We have spoken on this topic or dialogued on this topic at the 50th anniversary uh, and other times as well. So to begin, uh, our topic is integral education and uh, in the history of the founding, especially in the founding, but also in the history of uh, CIIS. Um, and that word integral is in there, and that's what we'll be talking about. David Shish, do you want to say anything about the theme? Yes, Robert. I mean, I think uh, that's, as you said, it's, I think uh, the, uh, the title was given as Spirituality and Integral Education. And I think both of them are really interesting terms. Uh, they're not uh, terms that are fully understood today because they've, they've developed so many different meanings. Uh, you know, the, the philosophical understanding of the term problematic is not so much that it's bad, it's that there are many problems that it raises. You know, I think both those terms are in that sense problematic. They're interesting terms because they raise so many issues. Spirituality, um, on the one hand, it's about spirit. On the other hand, it has a history where it becomes the opposite of materialism, right? So you think of matter and spirit. Uh, and, and, and the integral is a term which uh, has also developed many nuances over time. And today, people are not really aware what exactly integral means. So I think it's more like whole person to most people. So I think it's it's an interesting set of uh, terms to discuss. Good, thank you. That was helpful. Um, so I'm going to speak about the uh, integral in the founding and the early history. Um, and I often say, and I really mean, and I, I think more and more I'm convinced of the case, that CIIS was wonderfully founded. Really a great, uh, got off to a great start in its founder, uh, uh, Haridas Chaudhary, who is a professor in, um, in Calcutta, uh, Krishnagara College, who is the chair of the philosophy department. And uh, a letter went from a professor at Sanskrit to uh, Sri Aurobindo to send a, uh, a professor to represent Sri Aurobindo's thought. And through a 
series of conversations. Uh, Haridas was selected and left and came in 19, uh, 1950 and for the school to start in 1951. And um, we're not going to dwell on that school. That was not CIIS. That was the, uh, the Academy, the American Academy of Asian Studies. And I think I could summarize the history of that school by saying simply it was before it's, the time was ready. The, the faculty didn't really know how to do what they needed to do. Uh, it, it, was, it was, I would say, fraught. Um, in a way that it was nobody's fault. It was just too hard at that time. And then they all scattered in the mid-50s, and Hari Das went to the Cultural Integration Fellowship to teach uh, on uh, Fulton and uh, 4th Avenue. <laughs> um, and uh, there he lectured and gave uh, meditation classes to a wonderful group of uh, spiritually aspiring people, which significantly included uh, Michael Murphy and Dick Price, the founders of Esalen, and they became close friends of Haridas and Bina and close friends of the school that Haridas and Bina founded in 1968, just six months after the Summer of Love, and in, in pulsing San Francisco with aspirations and, and protests and psychedelics and music. Uh, and um, it was an exciting time and a difficult time in some ways. So what, would, what was Dr. Choudhury trying to do with this new graduate school? I know for a fact that both he and Bina told me that they did not continue the license or the approval that they had for the previous school, but they founded it very deliberately as, a, I don't know if they used the word deed, but that's what they meant. It was a new start with a new spiritual impulse and, uh, um, and I would say identity. Um, and so no, since we have already established that Haridas Chaudhary was uh, devoted to the teaching and practice of the integral yoga of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. We know that he was trying, because that's what you do with that yoga, he was trying to hold together thinking, the transformation of thinking, and uh, action, and of course being president of a, founding and being president of a graduate school is surely an action, and quite an exhausting action. And then the third one is affect or love. And I do think that Haridas and Bina tried to create something that they loved and that others would love and that it would be a source of inspiration uh, in a fast moving time, not the late 60s with lots of opportunities, lots to, to object to. Okay, so Devashish will talk about the Upanishads as, as uh, an integral uh, teaching, um, and I just want to continue a little bit more, though already anticipating that when we tried to understand what uh, Haridas uh, was talking about, and he was the president, but he was also the teacher. He was also the the, the spiritual guide of the of the community, and so he, like Sri Aurobindo, was devoted to these three paths: knowledge, action, and love but with an important addition which transformed the knowledge, action, and love. The addition was the, in, the uh, uh, evolution of consciousness. That is to say, the thinking now had to be understood in terms of what it is to be in the 20th century. Uh, and, uh, and the vast explosion of knowledge and the division in the Western paradigm between uh, spiritual and material, and for that matter, spiritual and intellectual. So that was a challenge facing him and, and the school. Similarly, uh, the action had to be lifted or transformed or redeemed so that it was a selfless deed, influenced not now by Sri Aurobindo as much as 
by Gandhi, who is the expert exponent of this teaching, this karma yoga, which is true of Sri Aurobindo. But with Gandhi, it was the sole discipline. And he tried to show how everything that we would do would have, would be uh, free of a selfish uh, motive, that we would do it uh, because of the, the deed itself would be uh, a spiritual or moral deed. And then love uh, needed to be lifted because we are in a culture where love is uh, obviously materialized and to some extent debased and, and with all kinds of, um, uh, sort of uh, appropriations and distortions. And so that's a very hard job to reestablish the, the, uh, a deeper, truer meaning of love. Now, if you notice, with, I, I've already begun. David, she started this, and I'm continuing talking about terms because terms are not ordinary, casual uh, parts of our lives. Uh, you know, there are lots of books showing that if you, if you control certain terms, you can, uh, you can have a very significant and perhaps very negative influence. So since the 14th century, when there was a split between the nominalists, the people who said there's only words, uh, and the realists who said, no, 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 there's something real between the words and the, and the reality and the, and the objects or the event. There's been that split in our culture, and more and more uh, it is the case that people use words without any regard to their referent so my favorite example is what is seeing people with shirts and hats with teams or uh, uh, clothing stores uh, to which they have no relationship, but they just happen to be on their shirt. And I'm thinking, this is a, a good example of the separation of words in, in, in terms of tonight we're talking about integral and spiritual. And uh, so there's a... There's a a separation in, in the culture between what words really mean and how they are appropriated and debased. Um, so um, what, what I'd like us to try to have in mind as we proceed is that we are trying to talk about spiritual in a way that we think has a, a clear focus and maybe even some kind of essence uh, different from, oh, just give me anything and somebody who's nice or somebody who is not, not a money-grubbing person. Uh, but actually, it, I think this, we have to be more exact if we're going to build a whole graduate school uh, with that word as an adjective. Now, the same is true of integral. Uh, for quite a long time, many people uh, had given up the idea that integral is the transformation of mind, of uh, 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 thinking, feeling, and willing, and they decided that's the relationship between uh, the physical and and the mental, or it has to do with different academic disciplines. And so the original meaning in Sri Aurobindo and in Haridas uh, was uh, lost track of. So um, that's what we're here to talk about, and um, we hope you'll stay with us. Devishish? Yes, Robert. Yes, indeed. I, I think what you said about words is so important. And I think sometimes words become nuanced, changed, and even turned into something opposite from what they, what they were. And I think one of the things we can do about that, Robert, is to have a... Uh, a slew of synonyms that we use, you know, so people understand words not merely for a certain kind of a meaning that a, a word has, but in a, in a more kind of community way. Words form an ethos rather than forming just a, a certain single meaning. So from that point of view, I think, you know, what, what Haridas Chaudhary was trying to do when he came um, is something quite I mean, you talked about the San Francisco Renaissance. It's very different from what he was doing at Krishnanagar College in Calcutta. He, he was a follower of Sri Aurobindo. He was a yogi. He was a practicing yogi. 
but he wouldn't be te- teaching spiritual philosophy in, in, in Krishnanagar College. He'd be teaching the kind of philosophy, you know, other schools over here teach. So it was something new for him as well, I'm sure. It's, it's exciting to think about that, Robert. don't you think? I mean, he started a new kind of, uh, of philo- philosophical education over here, or what today we call spiritual education. I think one of the terms, and, and that's the term I'm using in the new concentration which we started, contemplative studies. So when we use spirituality, I think a more contemporary term that can be associated with it is contemplative studies and studies of uh, scholarly practice, which is what he was really aiming for. We just don't read it as armchair intellectuals who read books and split hairs about their meanings, but we actually internalize it for our own purposes. Um, did you get that feeling, Robert? When, and, and you met Haridas uh, in the early, I mean, at least quite early times uh, of CIIS. What was your feeling at that time? Well, I could speak at length, and I don't know if we're beyond the topic. Haridas... Uh, uh, was a, he really was an integral person because he was very scholarly. Uh, he was an excellent writer in English. He was uh, articulate in a way that was uh, elegant and, and eloquent. He was, had a beautiful, he was had a great charm that was not at all superficial. He was very practical. Uh, and uh, he and Bina were a, a great combination. He was, this is a, a guru with a, a consort like uh, Rama and Sita. Um, and so uh, the wonderful thing, uh, thinking about him, is that really nothing was missing except a long life because he died still in his uh, early 60s. Um, just a heart attack at his desk in 1975 when the Institute was only seven years old. And then it really struggled uh, without him. Um, So he was an integral person. And so when he writes about, uh, for example, in his book, Integral Yoga, when he writes about the different yogas, he's writing out of his own experience. And that that makes it very convincing. Yes, yes, Robert. And that, that's what I meant. And he was encouraging that. And I think we still encourage that at CIIS. I think these two terms, because that's what we started with, our seven commitments begin with integral education. And then the second one is spirituality. So I think it, it lives on in that sense. Uh, I'd say another term that is related uh, to this kind of education that they started is that is a scholar practitioner. Ah, That's term. what you just said, right? Yeah. Haridas, the, his words carried conviction because he practiced what he wrote about. And I, I think that's something that uh, everybody should know that we all have all the archives of Haridas Chaudhary's lectures. I mean, many people have heard Alan Watts, who was one of the co-founders of the early uh, American Academy of Asian Studies. But Haridas Chaudhary's lectures and that conviction that you talk about, that eloquence is, is so marked and people should listen to his lectures, I think. Don't... I com- couldn't agree more. I, I was once in charge of a project that reviewed all of the audiovisual materials for Hinduism and Buddhism. And so I watched, I think, about 12 uh, Alan Watts uh, videos and positively, he was wonderfully eloquent with great facility of metaphors, and it just came out like that. And uh, not so positively, certainly in comparison to Haridas Chaudhary, uh, is that there was a, 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 a facile quality, which I never detected in Haridas. He was really grounded and careful. Um, so I'm sorry to say something not so nice about Alan Watts, but it, it, you know I'm not going to bring him down. He's very popular. <laughs> uh, but it, I mention it partly because I think we all have the, the task to discern what is authentic 
and what is rooted in a person's actual life experience and what is just taken from one book to a page. And, and Haridas, uh, he, he was this uh, integral person. So do you want to say something about the Upanishads as an example yeah, of all yeah, this? Yeah, yes, yes, Robert. And so because Haridas, so the, the name uh, that he gave uh, both the incarnations that he uh, sort of founded uh, was uh, Asian studies. But I think it changed to integral studies but I think, uh, you know, as you told me earlier, it was in keeping with his understanding of integral. So it was a happy transition yes. that was more integral yes, <laughs> than yeah. just Asian studies. Yes. By yeah. 1980, the school had a very large psychology program, not all of which was Asian. And so uh, the board decided, interestingly, just before the WASC accrediting agency arrived, um, they decided that it would be more uh, uh, accurate uh, and also an explicit uh, honoring of the name of the philosophy and the, and the yoga of Sri Aurobindo to call it integral. So this, it's not some um, unrooted uh, say mathematical term or some, something about, oh, well, it has to do with putting things together. Uh, it's it's a, a very it's a very strong and clear uh, word having to do with the three yogas and the evolution of consciousness, and also also the tantra. The, yeah, uh, maybe you yeah, want so, to say something about that. Yeah, yes, Robert. So I think when uh, he used the term integral in the I mean, so the term integral as Haridas Chaudhary got it comes from Sri Aurobindo. And when he used the word integral, he was translating the Sanskrit Purna, which he calls his yoga, Purna Yoga. Uh, he uses the term Purna. And then Haridas Chaudhary begins his book, Integral Yoga, by talking about Purna and its roots in the Upanishads. That's what we were discussing. You wanna, do you want to uh, um, spell that for our yeah, people who are not familiar? P U R N A. Yeah. Purna. Purna. Yeah. Okay. And you know this. This is the one of the earliest Upanishads. Actually, the earliest Upanishad, the Brihad, Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad, uh, on which I have just written, just completed a book. Um, so in the fifth chapter, uh, they have this verse, and it goes like this. Many people have heard this. Purnam adah, Purnam idam, Purnat Purnam udachyate, Purnasya Purnam adaya, Purnam eva vashishyate. And Haridas doesn't give this Sanskrit, but he gives the loose translation of this in the book. And essentially what it's saying is, uh, the, the exact translation is, Purnam, uh, Purnam, we could, again, many synonyms. Sri Aurobindo would use the word integral for Purnam. We could also use the word whole. So, you know, the word integral as the whole, um, more like not the whole being a complex unity, a, a, a one thing of many things. So the whole is that, the whole is this. Out of the whole, the whole emerges. If you take the whole away from the whole, it is the whole that remains. And so this is, a, this is like a puzzle or a kind of a, you know, some, some, a, 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 a meditative exercise. You have to, you have to meditate on this. Um, and it's, it sounds paradoxical. Or what remains if you take it away from itself, right? And from it, its entirety emerges. So this is the notion of the integral as uh, something which is um, undividable. And, uh, yeah, and inexhaustible. And in, inexhaustible. Uh, so, for example, the, the universe arises from something, a, a substratum underneath it, and it instantiates itself into all the many beings, creatures, of the universe, the universe itself is the whole, and every creature in it is the whole. And nothing exhausts the whole from which it came. This is, uh, you know, the meditation behind right. it. It's a little like Hegel, the, 
uh, who speaks about the unity of unity and difference, which is another meditation. <laughs> the unity of unity and difference. It's the, the unity of the one and the many, which in a certain sense, all Western, and I think Indian philosophy as well, is devoted to dealing with that, that mystery. Right. Yeah, to, and see, so where does it fit in, uh, you know, in Haridas's use and, and in the use of, because as you said, CIIS was very strongly a psychological, uh, you know, based uh, educational institute. But by the time Haridas died, um, the notion of the integral has to do with something which is whole inside us and something that nothing can really wound. When we talk about psychological healing, it's uh, more than trying to mend things that are broken. It's trying to find some that, that something that's already whole in, inside us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and then and the, through the, spirituality, you find it. You, you can't yeah. find it by rationalizing about it. So that the, was one the of the passions reasons. that you quoted. Is that in uh, the book Integral, uh, Integral Yoga? Yeah it, yeah, it begins by talking about this particular passage. Yeah. And then the other aspect of it that you mentioned, Robert, which has to do with the three yogas, Sri Aurobindo writes his book called Synthesis of Yoga, and he breaks it up into these four books of parts. The first three parts are these three parts that you talked about, which he's getting from the Gita. But uh, another in interesting and important thing to remember there is that you know, the understanding of the differentiation of our, of our psychology and of our goals. You know, like you said, the yoga of knowledge, the yoga of works, the yoga of love. Um, we have to give um, individual attention to each one of them. So each one of them has uniqueness, um, you know, something which is singular. At the same time, they have a common root. And so that's the integral. I think that that part is many people miss because they think about, you know, many ways of knowing, etc. But how do we honor the diversity of these ways of knowing, but also find that which is, you know, behind them? Book is called synthesis of yoga, yeah, not the right. plurality of yoga, right, right, right. not the variety of right, yoga. Right, right, right. It's the synthesis that holds them together. Maybe we should move not so far away, but to the question of the relationship of integral education and spiritual education and ethics. Uh, um, so you, you know that one of the yogas is action, but if you study the, the action yoga, karma yoga, you pretty quickly discover that you can't really do karma yoga if you don't know quite a lot about what to do. You have to know something about the world and you have to know about the situation and you have to know about your own life and your own destiny and what you're here on the earth to do. So you need, you need to have a relationship between the action and the knowledge. You also have to have a relationship between the action and what, is, what you are able to love. So that when you are choosing what to do, you are choosing to love what it is that you're involved with, whether it be a person or a deed or a, uh, a country or a teaching. So that then, um, leads me to suggest that when you're thinking about ethics or morality or justice, right? Um, you know, for example, the CIIS is now um, increasingly devoted to the cause of what we call DEI, right? The diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which is a matter of justice, among other things. Well, so what? What is it? What? What is the morality of that commitment? And so I would like to suggest that if you follow the integral yoga, then you become aware that morality is not following uh, rules or even principles. Each deed is a new deed coming out of the unity 
of knowledge and action and love, which is appropriate for the time where you are, when you are in the evolution of consciousness. So in, in, and this is confusing, but also slightly liberating. You can't tell what is moral by looking at a deed. You can only, you, you only could tell if it were possible by looking at the consciousness, the, the motivation, the, the whole in, integral situation of the, the person who is, who is performing the deed or reacting or initiating some, some chain of events. So the, the, just as religion uh, is not, is ideally is not a matter of prescribed practices, uh, it, or uh, a matter of dogmas and, and requirements, it is rather a, a, a turning, a, it's, it's, it's uh, affirming a noumenal dimension. Noumenal actually means tipping of the head the way you do when you're being reverent. You go, that, you tip your head. So uh, ethics, it seems to me, uh, in terms of which words we would associate, we would associate uh, the words, uh, uh, again, spiritual, which means that it's not divided off from uh, the community, from other persons. Uh, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not fragmented. It, it's integral to the whole situation, to one's community. And the, and the, the Indian teaching of Dharma, there's a self at the center, but then there's also the family, there's the community, there's the caste, there's the relationship to the divine, there's the relationship to the cosmos. So you really can't commit a deed that you hope is moral unless you have, unless you are integrated in all those uh, concentric circles, if you can think of it that way. Uh, and so when we think about, well, what words we use, well, I think in terms of what's spiritual, some people think it has to do with God, and other people say, no, just not God, that's too specific and too Western, we just mean divine. Or, and then other people say, yeah, but divine, but is it, is it, is it just mean the interior? Does it just mean non-material? Well, all those uh, levels of meaning have to be sorted out when you use the term, and especially when you use the term in order to define and characterize a, a, gra a graduate school or a school with also undergraduate, you need to uh, ha have an understanding of the truth of the word that you can build on together. Yeah. Yes, Robert. I think that's a very important, very, very, very important point, particularly for an institution which is a spiritual education, institution of spiritual education, um, and, you know, even that, I'd like you to address that at some point. The very notion of spiritual education uh, in our age, uh, when with uh, the division between the church and the state, the very notion of spiritual education is under question. You know, that, that, that we are able to survive with a kind of, of freedom of, uh, you know, exploring what it means to be spiritual. I think that's that's really uh, important. But related to that, the notion of ethics. Because ethics often, you know, when you're talking about social justice, social ethics, it often becomes just a matter of do's and don'ts, of, uh, you know, prescriptions. But uh, as you were pointing out, it's really not about prescriptions. It's really about finding the root of uh, the you know spirituality and the spiritual root of oneness i mean if we can actually experience people as oneself or as the self as as the upanishad say purna integral um, then ethics is the natural outcome of that but if one doesn't then one needs a police keeping force and one needs laws and one needs to be you know, chastised for doing, because you, you don't have the inner connection of, of oneness from which ethics naturally arises. So I think spiritual ethics, when we are talking about um, social justice, 
has to fall back on that root of the experience, of the spiritual experience of ethics. Yeah, I, th I think the New Testament is really good at this because every time that they tried to trick Jesus, he chose, he chose uh, love and integrity over rules and laws. Uh, and they were, and they, which made them more angry, but he he got it straight in in that in that in that sense. Um, and uh, okay, well, um, should we continue with the ethics, or do we want to talk about where we are institutionally and in terms of education? Yeah, yes, Robert. I think uh, that's that's really also something we have to think about the future. I mean, where are we now? with regard to spirituality and the integral, and particularly the integral, and thinking about uh, history and our uh, work in the world towards the future. And uh, I think uh, Haridas Chaudhary and you know his predecessor in that sense, Sri Aurobindo, uh, they really were foreseers, they were seers, they were uh, prophets in that sense. They saw a time to come, uh, a time which, you know, which has come now and which we are facing right now. So I think what's really uh, timely uh, of our time in the teaching of the integral is that all the way from the beginnings of modernity, which we can take back to, say, 15th or 16th century, there has been a trend towards specialization. And it's all mental you know, it's it's divide and conquer. It's making a construction, right? We we uh, look at the world in, in a million perspectives, which grow smaller and smaller, and people do research and create this huge institutional network across the world with the sort of idea that someday all this will integrate into a single whole. But it doesn't. And today, we are face to face with the consequence of that. It's so fragmented. People don't see eye to eye, and we are actually divorced from the earth. Uh, we, we are completely blind to the fact that we are no longer in inner contact with anything. Uh, so I think the, uh, the integral from that point of view is a change of perspective from this notion of, you know, fragmentation, um, you know, from an age of ultra-specialization to an age of integration. <clears throat> and in, in our uh, beloved university, um, we do have some uh, amount of synthesis in terms of a common, common root and some common ideals, etc. But we also suffer the um, modern Western uh, uh, separation of disciplines and uh, and goals, uh, which is understandable. It's, I'm not criticizing so much as I'm saying this is our situation in our um, society and an education of which is part of the society. Uh, specialization uh, is uh, prized at the expense of integration, which is not to say we shouldn't have specialization because we want to go deeper and deeper in whatever we're trying to learn and to, and to teach, and that requires specialization. But it has to have soft edges. It has to, have, it has to be related to other concerns and other, other values and even other roots Right. Coming from, from so so that's exactly where, I mean, you know, when we have the other kinds of disciplinary, interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary, transdisciplinary studies, uh, I think uh, CIIS, apart from its specialization, which I agree, I think the integral, again, is both the multiple and the one at the same time. Uh, so the, the entire range of disciplinary specialization and their relations uh, ultimately forming the viewpoint of, of the integral, the, the perspective that unites, uh, I think is something that CIIS is, is, you know, is equipped to uh, promote. I think, it's, I think it's equipped, and I think it also... Uh, shows how difficult it is 
because this is an institution devoted to ideals. Not many institutions of higher education are committed to ideals. They're committed to um, producing people who can get careers and ideally contribute to the back to the institution and this kind of a cycle. And that's re really okay, it's positive. Uh, and at the same time, uh, there aren't shared ideals except for smartness um, and the production that comes from smartness, which is positive and necessary. And at the same time, uh, I, it seems to me that the advantage of the smartness in CIIS uh, has a vertical dimension. That is to say, it has depth, it aims at depth, and other, other institutions uh, can't agree on that, and they don't try to do that. They're doing something else. But, uh, but producing knowledge coming out of depth and also aspiring to a higher uh, level, a higher reality, so that instead of it being horizontal, which is perfectly adequate for most people and for most parts of the society, uh, the integral is trying to say we are trying to be uh, related positively to all the other parts and also related integrally to the deep sources and to the, to the uh, higher dimensions. Now, some people don't like higher, um, but, you know, I think it's... It's a word that is, to some extent, fallen, like transcendent. Uh, but I think it needs to be rescued because the, the uh, uh, spiritual life doesn't just go horizontal. It goes deep and it goes high. And, and I think all of the great spiritual teachers evidence that uh, double, demand, double direction of uh, horizontal and, and vertical. And so one test, I think, of integral and spiritual is whether it is only uh, on one level or whether it as aspires to a, a deeper and a, and a higher dimension. And I know, uh, David Sheesh, you sometimes talk about transhuman. Do you want to say something about that in this yeah, context? Absolutely, Robert. I think uh, actually what I'm more interested in is what's called post-human. So they make the distinction between transhuman and post-human. Transhuman or transhumanism is more about how technology is enhancing us and make, going, making us go beyond the human. But post-humanism is actually a critique of transhumanism mm -hmm. because in a sense, it's the entire history of modernity, of science and technology that has brought us to the brink of some kind of an extinction. We are really, in a sense, faced with a climate crisis, unprecedented climate crisis across the world. Uh, we have pandemics that we are in the middle of right now. Uh, and then we have cultural wars going on all over the world. We are possibly in a third world war right now. So what we see is this, this kind of uh, you know, brink of a certain disaster that we brought on us, a dystopia rather than an utopia that we've brought on ourselves. So post-humanism from that point of view, I think, and, and related to the integral, um, is when we think of ourselves as a whole person, not as a human being that is limited in our scope, not, not as somebody who has a name, you know, and a certain family background and a certain, you know, kind of distinct identity, but somebody who's in deep relation with larger universal forces. So that um, the human is a whole, the whole per the idea of the whole person, which is another synonym for integral. And I think, you know, you were talking about the San Francisco Renaissance. That's when ideas like the whole person really are, now we talk about whole person psychology. A whole person psychology is not only the psychology of the individual whole, but it's the knowledge of the individual as the whole. In other words, um, the individual psychology, the, the human, is not the cogito of the Western rational ego, but the human is, in a sense, one with the earth one with 
you know, say the, 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 we talk about the geosphere, the, the world of climate, for example. We talk about the biosphere, uh, the world of the ecology of animals. We talk about the psychosphere, which is the cultural relations we have with other humans. I think in a way, each one of us contains all of that in ourselves. And to experience our oneness at those levels is in that sense a post-human integralism. And that's what interests me about this. Yeah. And so, David, let me put you on the spot. If, if everyone uh, currently in CIIS as students, faculty, board members, donors, uh, staff people, um, administrators, were um, post-human in the sense in which you're speaking, uh, that is to say, uh, after and in some sense uh, transcending and more than the uh, human as it's created in the modern West, uh, what kind of change would that, in, uh, would that bring about? Well, Robert, I mean, you mentioned it yourself, that that's the root of spiritual ethics. I mean, they, they would be able to experience much more closely uh, the feelings of, uh, of the earth, the feelings of uh, other creatures or, or, or other human beings. How, how can we make it our, uh, our preoccupation to uh, you know, focus our understanding so as to feel deep unity? Or it comes from first from deep relationality. How can we have intimate relations with the things that we've completely separated from ourselves? And we find then that there is a deeper unity among all these things. I think that's the basis of, of, of spiritual ethics. And I think when you're talking about CIIS as making that possible, I think, you know, as you said, uh, to the extent that we do that, we don't need to worry so much about, uh, you know, policing people from it, the outside. It gives me a chance to uh, uh, introduce the beautiful term of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist teacher, uh, interbeing. So he wants us to experience the between everything uh, in such a way that nothing is cut out or isolated, and then we can see ourselves as um, as Buddhist, Christian, Muslims, Vietnamese, uh, American, uh, German, Brazilians, uh, which is the way he actually lived and thought that there were no, uh, there was no uh, away, and no apart, and no and no uh, opposed. It was all. It was like a great symphony in in his thinking. Yes, uh, yes, Robert. I think that's such a great example. And I think Thich Nhat Hanh uh, is a tremendous example for the kind of scholar practitioner that CIIS should aim to produce, you know. I, I think because for, for a number of reasons. For one, uh, as a Buddhist, he reinterpreted the Buddhist, you know, all the Buddhist teachings uh, in extremely uh, contemporary ways and ways that matter for us today. Exactly like you said, uh, the word interbeing uh, was his translation, just like the word integral is Sri Aurobindo's translation of the ancient Purna, yeah. which is so timely for us today. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, word interbeing is a translation for sunyata, Sunyata, which people normally translate as the void. And immediately you think, well, it's uh, you know outside of the world, we have to get out of the world. He says, sunyata is interbeing. In other words, it's not you, it's not me, it's what's between us. And what's between us is the whole world. You know, it's, it's the distances of the vast. So I think from that point of view, um, it's, it's exactly what you said about uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's... And, and, and just by the way, um, uh, it reminds me, as you were speaking, David Sheesh, that a, uh, the Episcopal Bishop of California, Mark Andrus, who just finished a degree in PCC, wrote a dissertation, and now a book, 
on the relationship between uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King. So here we have a, a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist and a uh, black Baptist preacher, um, uh, uh, activist, um, both devoted to peace in these in, in completely different cultures. In fact, one of the cultures dropped millions of tons of bombs on the other one, and they just came together as friends uh, because they didn't allow the, their uh, national context to prevent them from interbeing with each other. It's, it's, it's very beautiful, yeah. Um. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team also includes Izzy Angus, Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Patty Fort, and Nikki Rhoda. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.